0: As some of you might be aware, we uh, we're going to start a series, a new series on uh, one of the short letters that Paul writes to uh, Christians who so are trying to work out what it means to to follow Jesus and be disciples. It's uh, a letter called One Thessalonians. It's probably people think this probably was one of the earliest letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. And uh, in effect, what Paul is trying to do in his letters, is disciple people. He's trying to help Christians work out how do you make good decisions where you are. And as we read the epistles, as we read these letters written 2,000 years ago, we're trying to hear it as though Paul were writing to us to try to discover what would Paul say in our context. What would Paul say to you? 2014 begins with all hopes that we might have, but also the ongoing challenges. And in the midst of it, here we are in church, worshipping, trying to work out what it means to follow Jesus, trying to be obedient, sort of wrestling with all sorts of stuff. What would Paul say to us? One of the things that we believe is that when we start to read the Bible together, and whenever we read the Bible, that it's not just the words there that are affecting us, but somehow... God by his spirit is wanting to take those words and reapply them so that it becomes like god nudging at our own heart and saying can you see that and when when i when i stand like this or others stand like this and we we come and we say well look this is what we want to look at this morning our prayer is not that just you might stay awake or, that, or not just to actually you learn something. This is not primarily about you learning something. Our prayer is that somehow you might hear the other voice. The other sort of voice behind the voice that speaks to you, that nudges you. And the really interesting thing is that it will be different for all of us because we come in with different stuff going on. But God is the one who speaks to his people. He is not silent. So may it be this morning, Lord. This is how the letter begins. We're not going to read a vast chunk of it, which is sort of unusual for me, but just the first few verses, how Paul begins this letter to these people who are trying to work out what it means to follow Jesus. The letter comes from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Let's just pause there. You may well be too sophisticated to, uh, to have a list of New Year's resolutions, but uh, I picked up some papers this morning that we'll read later, and the, the papers are full of diets and ways to get your finances under control and ways to get yourself back into some sort of good shape for this coming year. And, uh, as I said, it's sort of almost, it's children's stuff, isn't it? The New Year's resolutions. But there's probably some of us in here who would desire to be a little bit of a different shape this year. There's some of us in the room who would desire to be a slightly (coughs) different weight. There's some of us in the room who might actually wish we wouldn't react in the same way as we did to some situations last year. And plastered over the newspapers, you know, you might wish that your finances were better ordered, is this idea, this promise that you can be a better person, you can be a different person, that somehow you can improve yourself. That's the story of New Year's resolutions. But when Paul begins all of his letters, he never says to any of the churches, and you've got to understand that some of the churches he was working with were not great. You know, sometimes we get this idealistic view of New Testament church that, oh, if we were just like that, it'd be brilliant. Some of them, you wouldn't want to join. But he never starts a letter by saying, now listen, folks, you need to get your act together. Because to be honest, you're a bit of a shambles. He always starts by reminding them who they are. It's almost as though he says, instead of being better people, become who you are. He seems to believe, Paul seems to believe, that if you remember who you are, you'll live into that. It's when you forget who you are that it all goes adrift. If you remember the story that God's brought you into, then life will be different. So whenever Paul writes one of his letters, he's always wanting to write to them and remind them how God sees you, because that's... What we forget. So this is how he begins the letter to the Thessalonians. (laughs) To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, these Thessalonians they lived in a place called Thessalonica, which you can still go to. It's a seaside port, it was an administrative centre, it was quite a significant city and it had its own culture. It had its own language, its own sort of accent, its own dialect. It had its own ways of doing it. And he's writing to the church of the Thessalonians. But then he uses this strange phrase that he doesn't use in any of the other letters. He says it's the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and in and the Lord Jesus Christ. He often talks about the church of the Philippi- uh, Philippians, the church of Philippi, in Christ Jesus, for example. But rarely, if ever, does he ever say, it. you're in God. I wonder how many of you watched this this, uh, this week. Um, Sherlock. I think it's brilliant. Eh? Okay. He didn't die. Okay. Um. <laughs> Sherlock is brilliant. I, I think it's brilliant. I love it. It's fast-moving. It's humorous. It's got Benedict Cumberbatch, who's this sort of enigmatic Sherlock, and uh, Martin Freeman, who's like every man, this sort of self-deprecating guy, with just like we would want to be. I, I don't suppose many of us would want to be Benedict Cumberbatch, because he's a little odd in that but most of us would sense that we're a bit more like Martin Freeman. And it's brilliant television. It's got five stars. It's probably the one thing of the whole of Christmas that was worth watching. But, (laughs) but, (coughs) who's really responsible for it? Mark Gattis, the writer. But, is it just the writer and the actors? Or is it, the producer who brings together the brilliance of all these different departments to produce location and sound and music and makeup and, and, and. And the history of it. Or is it the director who tells Benedict Cumberbatch where to stand and Martin Freeman when to come in and captures it on film in such a way that we go, wow, in fact, in such a way that we forget there's anybody else involved except Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman because that's brilliant. What's Paul wanting to say to the Thessalonians? That in your church, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and Jesus Christ. God is the principal actor, the principal producer and the principal director. It's not us, it's God. And it's really easy to forget. It's really easy to forget who's doing what round here. And Paul wants the church that meets in the city of Thessalonica to remember that when we came and became part of this community, the principal actor was not the church leaders, it was not the musicians, it was not you, it was God. Acts chapter 17 tells a story about when Paul went to Thessalonica and started the church. And one of the things that happened in Thessalonica was that Paul was accused, they're all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. There's like a renter mob came and a big sort of riot in the city. And they said, that's what they're doing. They're saying there's another king, one called Jesus. The renter mob were right. That's exactly what Paul was doing. Paul was saying, there is another one who's at work here. I don't know about you, but I find it easy to forget that God's the principal actor. Sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to to think of our relationship with God as God being the one who gives you strength or power or love or the stuff you need, but actually then says, get on with it. But actually, Paul wants to be far more specific than that and say, no, God is the one who is principally acting. Can you spot it? One of the things that can happen to us is that when we, when we grow cold or when we grow... when we forget to pray and we forget to pray for a long time and we grow out of the habit of praying, except when we're in trouble... <laughs> What happens is your ability to spot God is lost. That's what's missed. God doesn't stop helping you because you don't talk to him. It's not that kind of relationship. God's far more gracious than we are. God doesn't stop loving you because you're not interested in him. He's always committed himself by his love. But what happens is that you lose the ability to spot what God's doing. God's the principal actor. So if you were writing to us, to the church of the Salfordians, with our own accent, our own dialect, our own way of being, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, how would you hear that? To the Elam Church in Salford, in God and in Jesus. There's something about security. There's something about priorities. Pretty early on when you become a Christian, you uh, you learn some stuff about church and it's easy to get it the first time around and it's also really easy to forget it continually. If we are in God, if God's the primary act around here, if our relationships together are actually secured in him, if somehow in the gospel God got hold of us and brought us into this new story... If all of that is the case, and I think it is, I think the truth is that although some of us were spiritually searching for some meaning to life, actually we now want to look back and go, well, what was going on is God was searching for us. We thought we were searching for some meaning, but actually that very search itself was God searching for us. That sense of discontentment that we felt at the time that led us to become a Christian was actually evidence that God was on the case. And the fact you ended up here with us, with one another. So how do we act? Well, we got to act in 2014 as though the church is not primarily about the building. It's the people. Now we <laughs> some of you have been around with us for years all right you're there like the the I don't know what I don't know what the a, a pleasant analogy is but uh, we are the sort of the people that are sort of like been there for forever and i used to say when we met in liverpool street when we had our building in liverpool street i used to say it because i was it was true it's not about a building it's about the people and then we, we didn't have a building and then it suddenly oh, was flipping hard Because it is so easy, isn't it? It's quite interesting that uh, some of you sit in exactly the same seat every week. That doesn't make you a bad person. It's just interesting. Isn't it? And it's interesting. And and you do it. I guess you do it because it's habit. You do it because it's not because you get a better view of anything. It's just we've always done it. And then when we worship once a month in the back room, which you'll have noticed we're not doing this morning, the most more perceptive of you will have noticed, it's difficult then because you've got to work out, well, where's my equivalent seat there? (laughs) And it can feel a little strange because we've grown used to the building, but the church is never about the building. It's always about people. Second thing, our church is not primarily about Sundays. It's about relationships. We gather on Sunday, but it's not primarily. This is not it. At best, this is a tip of an iceberg if we're doing it right. (coughs) Now, of course, you can just connect on Sunday alone. That's fine. But this is not it. There's more if you allow yourself to form the relationships that matter. Our church is not primarily about our choice. It's about being chosen. Now, some of you might go, well, I don't know. That's the that's stretch. On Friday, uh, Ian and Mary and myself, we had a day away where we uh, just took a chance just to, to look at the big picture again, really, and see, well, what's going on. And one of the things we did was we said, so who is with us now that wasn't with us then, a year ago? And... We gave thanks for that, and um, we recognized who had moved away, Ronnie and Emma, and Matt and Grace, and John and um, Catherine, and they'd moved to other parts of the country, and we recognized that. And then we prayed, and we prayed that we might see new people come this year. Now, that's not, you, you kind of, I'm guessing you kind of hope we do that from time to time. It's kind of like our job. But this is the point. This time last year, we prayed the similar sort of prayer. In fact, at times, it's the only prayer I've ever prayed (laughs) about church. And the really intriguing thing is, you came. (laughs) You were the answer to a pastor's prayer. You came. Now, when you start thinking of it like that, you go, well, so was God involved with you being here? Or was it just good recruitment practice? Well, let me tell you, it wasn't. We're not that good. And some of you came to us through very strange routes. But we, because we want to say we were praying and we were asking God and we believe God's been at work. The fact you're sitting here is not an accident. Chosen. Set to one side. It's not just about choice. might feel like choice, but actually chosen. And the fourth thing about church is church is not primarily about our action. It's about us listening to God. Last week... um, some folks were, were just sort of reflecting and giving some testimony, really, about how God was at work in and through them. And Jo was one of them. And uh, she told this great story about how she felt God was just wanting her to speak to this other mum that was at the school gate. And the way she described it was this sort of like this nudging within her. And then God setting up a situation where even Joel couldn't miss it. I want more of that, don't you? Isn't it great when that happens? God's the principal actor. It's not about merely Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Although, the actors have to act well. The actors have to act well, but God's principally working behind. And then, when Paul goes on he then uses this trinity, this triangle, this triad of uh, characteristics. Faith, hope, and love. It's, it's, Paul uses this time and time again in all of his letters. It's, like, it's almost like a definition of what does it mean to be a Christian. Well, actually, we're people of faith, hope, and love. We are believers, we're lovers, and we are hopers. It's kind of like a definition of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. But what he does here is really interesting. He says, we give thanks to God because we give thanks for your work produced by faith. You believe in a God who loves people, who redeems people, who reaches people, a God who has not given up on the world and therefore you have worked differently. Your everyday work has been produced by faith. The way you've engaged with families, those of you that work with families, because of your faith. Those of you that work with uh, individuals and people who are who are difficult, who struggle, you've done it because your faith encourages you to work in a certain way. He then talks about your labor prompted by love. And that word, labor, is that hard work. It's just this sweat of the brow stuff. You've not given up because you've been prompted by love. I know people have been sort of like drifting back to work over the last few days, but probably tomorrow morning is the day when the whole of the nation will really go back to work. And even those of you that have been back to work already, that, tomorrow, you know that tomorrow is the day when you work properly starts. <laughs> and I was thinking about some of you going back into classrooms. Your hard, your hard labor, <laughs> prompted by love, the love you have for these kids in front of you. And then endurance, inspired by hope. You've kept going because of hope. It's not just, though, about those of you that work with people, that serve people, that deal with people. It's easier, perhaps, to see it with them. Um, When Vancouver, uh, some of you may have heard me say this before, but when Vancouver was being redeveloped, the city planners who redeveloped Vancouver, and Vancouver is now regarded as one of the most beautiful cities in the world, but when they did the harbour sign, there was, uh, the homicide was like the Keys 20 years ago, it was like uh, derelict, but there was one little mission hall in Vancouver called Hope Hall, Hope Mission Hall, and it was run by a little sort of outpost of Christians just doing mission work on the Keys in Vancouver, and of course when they first looked at how to redevelop that whole site, the the, 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 the first thought and the obvious thought was let's just, you know, we'll pay them off and we'll, we'll, we'll raise it to the ground and start again and we'll put something in sort of beautiful and shiny and glass and steel in the place. But the city developers said, what if we kept hope mission, and actually what would it look like if we redesigned this part of Vancouver around the trinity of faith, hope and love? And as city designers or city planners They said, how do we redesign a city if faith, hope, and love are the key? I heard that story not from a Christian. I heard it from a a, a world urban geographer who has redesigned Barcelona, has been involved in the Keys, has been involved in Vancouver. So it's not, this isn't a sort of a Christian spin story. This is actually recognized that one of the reasons Vancouver is so beautiful is because faith, hope, and love were the underlying foundations for the redesign of a city. So, for example, they said, we will never have one building that overshadows another. We will keep the height down to human scale. They actually thought it all through. It had something to do with the width of pavements and roads and traffic. I wonder how faith, hope, and love forms tomorrow morning for you. Endurance inspired by hope. What are you hoping in? Well, we come together around the death and resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus says all things can be new. After Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he ascended to sit at the Father's right hand, And the ascension said, Jesus Christ is Lord. And one of the last things he said to his disciples is, mediated through an angel, was that actually the way he's gone, he will return. Christians, sometimes we can act in the same way as all non-Christians, i.e. we can act well. But one of the differences that Christians have is hope, a different hope. Not just we hope things will work out, you know, like we sense that we hope the weather's nice tomorrow, we've got no idea, but actually this hope is secure, it's foundational, it's solid. And I know some people this morning who the thing you need more than anything is hope, a renewed hope. The Bible's really clear that one of the things that strips us of hope is the fear of death. The sense that actually the closer we get to it, the more it all feels for nothing. Someone wrote this. In the funeral service, we put aside our skepticism and our sophistication and we shout into the pit of death, you will not have the last word. This life and all life belongs to God. And some of us have been there recently, shouting into the pit, this is not the end. Now, what does it look like for people who go, that's what drives me? Not today, not what I fear might happen in a month, but actually what drives me is a sense that there's a bigger picture here. That everything that I'm told by my culture Is to be careful, take care, etc., etc., is not true, but actually there's a hope that goes on forever. What does it look like? I wonder if it looks like Nadine, who last week told us about how she'd forgiven those who had killed her friend. Because she lives in a different story. I wonder if it looks like Paul and Connie on a very different level saying we're part of our community group but we don't want to get dragged into the gossip because actually we're living with a different story. Paul finishes this little introduction by those two solid declarations. You're loved and you're chosen. And I wonder whether for many of us, those two words, if we could hear those words from God, would that change stuff? You're loved and you're chosen. We go through life longing to be loved and wondering whether we are capable of loving and capable of being loved. We go through life nervous and anxious about whether the love that we're involved with is secure enough and is, is strong enough and will it last or is it just ephemeral and will it just disappear like the like the mist? And God shouts to his church, you're loved. And we go around wondering whether we're good enough, whether we can make any difference, whether any of this really matters. And God says, I chose you. I chose you. You might not have been chosen for anything in the whole of your life. You might have always been the kid at the end of the football match choosing, with you're the one at the end and saying, well, we'll have him if we have him. You know, it's like, you might have been the girl who nobody wanted. And God says, but I did. Loved and Chosen. This is the story we are called into. To the church of the Salford Elim. The Salford Elim Church. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be yours. We thank God for you when we remember your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love and your endurance, inspired by hope. For brothers and sisters, we have been chosen. We are dearly beloved. Mm. I'm done. Let's just be still for a minute. What do you need to hear? What's the voice behind my voice saying? What's God wanting to remind you of? Let let us just ask the Spirit to come and for you at this point in the service, just for you, that you might make sense of this for yourself. Some of you will be carrying the burdens of others, but... Right now, what does God want to say to you? Holy Spirit, come and speak to us, we pray. Lord, help us to hear what we need to hear. Help us to accept the declaration of good news. And Lord, when the enemy of our soul would suggest that we are worthless and hopeless and unable to be loved, Lord, may you, the God of hope and faith and love, pour out your Spirit again into our lives. And Lord, may we serve people through the eyes of faith. May we carry on working hard because we love those and we're choosing to love those that we serve. And Lord, may our eyes and our hearts be bigger because we're inspired by hope. Help us to keep going, with prayer.